Wall Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. The year is 1929, and the Great Depression's foreshadow looms over Wall Street in the Big Apple itself, New York, New York. The day is October 24th, a day that has now become known as Black Thursday, and the New York Stock Exchange is overwhelmed with shouts of, SELL! With the Dow having already dropped by 11%, a man walks onto the floor, a savior of securities, Richard Whitney, who would go on to be named the White Knight of Wall Street, Mm. astride his steed of borrowed money, walks and declares, I wish to buy 25,000 shares of U.S. Steel at $205, well above the asking price for the security. He would then make his rounds buying up shares of blue chip stocks at higher than market value, showing that someone still had faith in the U.S. economy. If that is where Whitney's story stopped, then he would be well regarded as a great man. But it isn't where his story ends. And years later, Whitney would go from his suit of white armor to jumpsuit orange. You need an orange jumpsuit? (laughs) He's wearing orange armor. Orange armor now. Prison armor. Prison armor. As they put it. I think that's what they call it in prison. Were the jumpsuits even orange back then? You know what? Or were they the... Well, we can't tell. We didn't have color pictures. Didn't fact check it. That's right. Hey, what's a blue chip stock? Uh, Blue chip stocks are stocks that are like... um, Cheap? No, no, the opposite. They're like preferred. They're like the they're like the biggest stocks at the time. So like right now... Tesla. Yeah, a blue chip stock would be Tesla, Apple, Google, mostly tech stuff. Um, Meta. Meta, even though they just had, they just set the record for the most money lost in a day. Oh, fuck. So. Sorry, my. $205 billion of like worth or something left their company in a day because they posted a huge loss at the end of last quarter. So. Maybe that's uh, pretty meta, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty meta. Meta. Meta for sure, my man. Meta for sure. Man. Man. If only their losses were virtual, like the reality they create. Ooh, what's up, dude? What's up? What's up? Come for me, Mark Zuckerberg. He's I'm, you know, all those celebrity boxing matches that are going on. Yeah, I want one with Mark Zuckerberg. I'm not famous, but I'll box him. I actually he probably kick my ass. Maybe honestly, I, I don't think know. You might win. He's got lizard strength, dude. You know, everybody says this. He's just a nerdy guy. He's weird. He's he's worse than a nerdy guy. He's weird. Well, yeah. To get that weird. powerful, you got to be, and you're that nerdy, you got to be the weird kind of nerdy. I'm well, sorry. Well, it happens it. when you, like, are a virgin until you're 23. So maybe you shouldn't have been such a slut in high school, Kashan. And you would be able to beat Mark Zuckerberg could, in a boxing match. I could have held all of my libido in and held it in my brain and become smart. You could have wrestled... Mark Zuckerberg and your boner would have been so hard that it would just have defeated Mark Zuckerberg. And then you could jizz all over his face. When you start a sentence, do you know where it's going to end? Or do you just kind of like, you just kind of throw shit out there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, So we got to that. That has nothing to do with our topic today. With that beautiful transition, let's get (laughs) to Richard 
Whitney. Uh, Whitney was born way back before the turn of the century on August 1st, 1888 in good old Boston, Massachusetts to a prominent American family. Uh, the Whitney's ancestry can be traced back all the way to Puritans arriving on the Arabella to New England in 1630. So his family's, a, his family's a bunch of pussies because they had to run from the English because they were so afraid of the English government that they just like got on the Mayflower and are, came here. Are you taking the side of British loyalists right now? <laughs> like in the American? Revolution. <laughs> what a bold stance. I guess, yeah, I guess I am. You're like, Today the I English am. were right. They, they were right. They were a bunch of like mamby pambies. Fucking redcoats, man. No, I, I'm not on the side of the redcoats. I'm afraid I'm on the honest side of the people who are like, hey, don't be your dumb religion. And they were like, no, I'm going to go across the ocean and do what I want. The English had their own dumb religion that they kept switching a bunch. Well, but that was for a good reason. King Richard wanted to keep getting married. Yes, what a great noble reason. He wanted to marry six times. He just needed to get six wives. That's. Um, I think that's completely fair. Oh, my God. Well, I don't know why you switch religions, Kashan, but mine have always been so I can marry whoever I want. Let's get out of my past and into Richard Whitney's past. His father, George Whitney Sr., uh, was the wealthy president of North National Union Bank. So fair to say the silver spoon was firmly in Richard's mouth from the beginning. Uh, And many famous people were actually derived from the Whitney family, including arguably its most famous member, Eli Whitney, who invented the cotton gin. Did Eli Whitney actually invent the cotton gin, or did um, a black person actually invent the cotton gin, and then Eli Whitney's like, you know what? I did that. I don't know. I bet you that's what happened. All right. Well, if that's true, you guys can email us. Whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. Someone fact check that. Send off that email to us. See if that's another thing that that our ancestors stole. I'm sure. Uh, With his 1% level familial wealth, uh, Richard, along with his brother, George Whitney Jr., were able to attend one of the best all-male boarding schools in the nation, Groden School, uh, right in Massachusetts, where Richard was captain of the baseball team and school prefect. Which, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is outside of Harry Potter. But it's obviously a real thing. Do they even have that in Harry Potter? Yeah, they got the house prefects. They're like the... Oh, like Gryffindor and Slytherin and... Yeah, they can like... They're the ones that like watch the halls after bedtime to make sure that students aren't out. They're the prefects. They're like head boy. Oh, yeah. The lame kids. Snitches. It's like student council, basically. Got you. Um... Richard Whitney then went on to attend none other than Harvard University, uh, where he was even selected for membership in the Porcellian Club, an extremely weird cult-like pig-based exclusive club at Harvard that only selects about eight people from each class and has a history of being anti-Semitic and racist. But hey, Teddy Roosevelt was also part of the Porcellian Club, so, I mean... What? Why is it a pig-based club? Oh my god! I didn't know if I wanted to tell this whole story, but I'll let you. I'll give you the skinny down on it. Um, so I guess way early in Harvard's creation, like early eighteen hundreds, these people got this like kid hit a pig in his room, and then he would like when he was studying, he would like he would like pet the pig's ears, and it would like squeal as pigs are wont to do, and when the whatever an RA was at that time would come to like check on him because he would hear the pig squealing. He would like hide the pig under his bed and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, 
But then eventually, what did his room stink? Eventually, they were like, they're gonna raid your room and they're gonna find the pig. So this is fucked up. What they did is that they're like, all right, let's have a roast pig dinner, and they cooked the fucking pig, oh. and they had this big like like apple in the mouth like whole like roast pig thing, and they were like, we should create a club and do this thing a couple of times a year, just have a roast pig party, and that became the Priscillian Club. So let's just win the trust and loyalty of an animal and slaughter it every year. Happy exactly. Thanksgiving. Business. Uh, <laughs> That's fucked up. So, yes, it is. But it is seen as, at the time, one of the highest honors that you could be bestowed upon a Harvard, Harvard, <laughs> Harvard uh, attendee. Nice. So, mm. After graduating... Uh, Richard opened a bond brokerage firm in 1910, and in 1911, he bought a seat on the New York Stock Exchange at the ripe young age of 23 with daddy's money uh, and became the principal broker for J.P. Morgan and Company, uh, where his uncle and his brother George Jr. worked and provided him with the most lucrative of accounts. Uh, in 1916, Richard married Gertrude Sands. Man, was she hot. Yeah, Gertrude. She actually was cute. And she's the widow of a prominent banker. So she's already been married to another banker. He died. So she, she marries uh, Richard Whitney. And his new father-in-law, who was like the leader of a popular like New York club or league of something, uh, his new father-in-law got him inducted into all of New York's prominent clubs, including the New York Yacht Club, which I hear is not as fun as the Redneck Yacht Club. It would not be. And Richard was There's a- no fast tractors, bail liners, or party bars strung together like a floating trailer park getting loud and... <laughs> Yeah, just Getting why don't you just say all the lyrics? Uh, <laughs> there's I'll probably die. no bush light either, so and no tiki torches. That's a, that's a downside. Uh, but Richard was appointed treasurer, a mistake that would sink the <laughs> yacht club later. Yeah, I like that joke. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good, a lot of zingers in, yeah, in today's episode. Yeah, you got a episode. lot of. You're very punny today. Uh, I don't know. I was I was feeling myself. Um, Richard Britton. Richard Whitney was known to be a gentleman, though. During World War One, Richard put his financier career on the back burner to become an officer within the U.S. Food Administration, uh, then being headed by future president Herbert Hoover. Uh, he did this as a dollar, what was known as a dollar a year man, uh, a group of appointed individuals at the time that forego to full salary to work their position for just a symbolic one dollar salary. Wow, what a hero. So... After the war ended in 1918, however, Whitney moved back to New York and was elected to the New York Stock Exchange Board of Governors, rising all the way to its vice president. Now, this finally takes us to our opening. October 24th, 1929, once again, with the Dow down 11% in panic, raising on the floor of the exchange. With the current president of the New York Stock Exchange away on... What a bad day to be gone. He was gone on an extended vacation. He'd been gone for a while. Uh, he was in an extended vacation in Hawaii. The VP Whitney instead sat down with three high-ranking bank executives in Thomas Lamont from Morgan Bank, Charles Mitchell from National Bank of New York, and the funniest name of all, Albert Wiggin from Chase National Bank. Uh, they decided... They, were they Wiggin out? Were they Wiggin out because the Dow dropped? They were. It was Wiggity Wiggity Whack. Um... <laughs> It's just 
That's all I got. Yeah, we'll just sit here. For all the thing I could, the only thing I could think of was click, clack, moo. Kyle's the type. And I was like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> what? That's out of left field, man. I was like, wiggity, waggity, click, clack, moo. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then I said it anyway. Wiggity, waggity, click, clack, moo. Cow's the type. That's, that is a reference that a three-year-old will get. It's a good book. So to all you three-year-olds listening out there. It's a good book. You got Get one it for joke. Your kids. You got one joke today. Uh, they decided on a plan <laughs> together, and they gave Whitney funds to go downstairs and place his over-the-market bets to calm the panic and to show the bank's confidence in the market with one fell swoop. This actually did cause. Um, this did quell the same sort of panic that had happened in 1907. So in 1907, the same thing kind of happened, and someone did the same thing where they started buying stuff at over-market value, and everyone kind of saw that. It was like. Maybe oh, we're, it'll maybe, be okay. Maybe we're overreacting. Maybe we should stop selling so much. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, and God damn, it worked. By the end of the day, the Dow was only down six points, and news publications around the country heralded Richard Whitney as a hero of Wall Street, going so far as to giving him that famous moniker, the White Knight of Wall Street. I just don't think being called the White Knight is a good name. Well, not anymore, because now White Knight we refer to as like incels and stuff on. Yeah, I'm on the like, internet. I'm like, are you? Do you? This is before it, the the, the idiom got beat to death so much that now it's cliche. It was cool at this time. I'm if assuming. someone tells me they're a White Knight, I'm scared. As you should be. I think they're part of the KKK, which I know is not the same thing. But is it, that a le- no? That's that's when that's the weird crossover between like. KKK and Dungeons and Dragons is where their names are like Grand Wizard. Yeah. And you're like, are you a Grand Wizard at a clan rally or are you casting Fireball for like 86 damage? Because those two things have the same name but are different. They're so different. They're very different. One of them I can hang out with. The other one we call the police. Exactly. Um, they won't do anything, but we'll call them. <laughs> uh, of course... We know that in the end, uh, this big try by Richard Whitney did not stave off the Great Depression because five days later, after Black Thursday, we have Black Tuesday, which uh, it was the 29th, and this was actually the great collapse in the New York Stock Exchange and the big sell-off that is widely regarded as the start of the Great Depression that would claim many lives in the coming decade. In the coming decade. When do we get Black Friday? That's my favorite day of the year. Uh, I think that's uh, just a little bit after that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Richard Whitney, however, at least for the time being, was on top of the world, a folk hero of American finance. He would go on to be elected as the New York Stock Exchange president for five terms following this year from 1930 to 1935 when he would retire from the position. And although regarded by many as the voice of Wall Street, that voice didn't always tout the best things. For America. Uh, The main thing that Whitney did during his tenure as the president of the New York Stock Exchange was advocate publicly and insistently against federal oversight of securities trading. I'm sure. So while there were many bills being passed through Congress to strengthen the powers of the newly formed Securities and Exchange Commission, Whitney did whatever he could to lobby for them not to pass. He argued that regulatory policies of the SEC would hamper the free market of capitalism that, according to Whitney, was self-regulating and that the big hand of the government would stifle economic growth and produce a slippery slope to that, the, the most hated thing in America, 
Socialism. Not socialism! Oh, no. Do we look like Europe to you? <laughs> We're trying to forget Europe. For, we left Europe for a fucking reason. We don't want free health care. We don't want good education. We don't want social programs that actually benefit our citizen, citizens. We Fuck want socialism. Money. We want money. It's for, my money, and I want it now. But only for like a very like small percentage of us. Because here's the thing. If everyone had money, then would Why anyone would anybody, really have money? If you know? we all had money, there would be no incentive to work without, for more money. Without the wealth gap, then America crumbles. Right. So <laughs> literally the next thing I put was, Sound familiar? Uh, this is a prime example of why I personally am very wary of anyone who makes these claims against governmental oversight, especially in enterprises that are for the sole purpose of making money because you are probably rigging the system in the first place. Like, why else would you want a governing board of people to just look to make sure you're doing everything on the up and up unless right. you're not doing everything on the up and up? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, also, there is no... There's not a lot of like macroeconomic evidence that like small oversight like this causes any dip in the economy. No, he just wanted to do whatever he wanted. And that's why he said no. If anything, this kind of transparency causes more confidence in the market Mm -hmm. that gets more people to actually invest because they don't think they're going to lose their money. Right. You know, so whatever. Well, as the New York Stock Exchange began to be manned more and more by traders representing other people's accounts, this is what I'm talking about, they realized that people investing in the market relied heavily on those same people being able to trust the market, trust that the market is acting without corruption. And even Wall Street separated from Whitney's beliefs and wanted to adopt more regulation in securities trading because they realized that more regulation would bring more business to them. Uh, part of the new regulation practice was more disclosure of business information from publicly traded companies and brokerage firms, and it was this transparency that would lead to uncovering the great secret looming behind the brokerage firm Richard Whitney and Company. Dun, dun, dun. So, by the mid 1920s, Whitney was the owner of multiple estates, a $100,000 townhouse in New York, a 231 acre estate in Far Hills. And he also had a place in many high-level clubs that no doubt have high dues. All in all, it was said that just his maintenance bills ran more than $5,000 a month or the equivalent of over $102,000 a month today. Well, my bills don't even equate $5,000 a month in today's money. <laughs> mine, I don't, mine don't either. You're, I was going to say, yours shouldn't either. So he's spending a six-figure salary in today's money on maintenance bills a month for his properties and to maintain everything. Bro. And so that's not like everything else he's spending. Right. No, that's just to maintain his estate. Yeah. And Richard Whitney had become used to a level of lavish living that his checkbook could not keep up with. And although his outward personality showed everything a man could dream of as far as business and wealth are concerned, his actual investments were in shambles. Dumb bitch. He lost a lot of money on speculative investments. J.P. Morgan wasn't giving him a lot of accounts anymore, even though he was their primary broker. So he gambled poorly on penny stocks and even on blue chip stocks. He was just really bad at his job. <laughs> what was the guy's name who like lost all that money in Singapore that we covered? This reminds me of him. Oh, you did that week. I don't remember that guy. Richard the guy who or left- Robert. 
Was that Scrushy? No. No. That was the healthcare guy. I don't know. We talk about a lot of people here. Well, the names you know get what? Go back and listen to this episode. <laughs> Let us know if you find it. Oh, my God. That was a good episode. It was a good episode. I if just only we could remember it. If we it. only remembered. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? After like six, almost 60 episodes... Yeah, they all, some of them all they kind of go away. We do this weekly too, right? So yeah. we get something different every single week. It's hard to keep it all in my brain. And, and you know that I brain dump everything as soon as like we stop, we hit the end record button, and it's gone out of Nina's brain. Yeah, yeah. Kashan from the future here. The episode we're desperately trying to remember is Nick. Leeson, so go back and listen to that. Also, throw away all your Alexa-enabled microwaves. The war against the robots is not going well. Anyway, back to the past. So, to keep up with the money he owed, though, uh, he took out generous loans from wealthy friends and family, most notably taking millions upon millions of dollars from his brother, George Jr., who had become a very successful banker in his own right. Um, he, I think he rose all the way to president of the J.P. Morgan Bank. Um, George Jr. George Jr. Yeah. Um, and he was starting to take out loans from new people to pay back loans to other people in this like self-sustaining, sustaining cycle of debt, like a reverse Ponzi scheme. Bro, that is a bad idea. Where he just got in so much debt that he needed to borrow new money to pay off the old money. And he was getting it from people that would give it to him like with no interest. Right. So I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. One of the, one of these guys, uh, there was this story about someone asked him for a loan uh, on his face, which means like like no interest, just like at like on my face value that like I will return it to you. Yeah. And it was some guy who like barely knew him, and he was like, "How dare you put so much value on your face? <laughs> <laughs> your like wife's a, face, maybe? Like as a not jo- yours? Like as a joke? It was." I, I like, like it. Get wrecked. I think he ended up giving him some money, though. So, well, well jokes on him. Yeah, uh, his brokerage firm was therefore also wallowing in debt, and with the newly powerful SEC asking him to expose his books, Richard Whitney was on the ropes. And on March first, nineteen thirty-eight, he submitted his firm's finances to the SEC. One week later, trading was stopped on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange to read this message exactly. In the course of an examination of the affairs of Richard Whitney and Company, the Committee on Business Conduct discovered on March 1st, 1938, evidence of conduct apparently contrary to just and equitable principles of trade, and on Monday, March 7th, 1938, at 1.30 p.m., presented to a special meeting of the Governing Committee Charges and Specifications. Hearing on the charges was set for March 17th. This morning, the firm of Richard Whitney and Company advised the exchange that it was unable to meet its obligations and its suspension and its suspension for insolvency was announced from the rostrum of the exchange shortly after 10 a.m. And then they got back to trading. Uh, Richard Whitney's firm was declared insolvent. It had too much debt. He couldn't pay it back. I don't think this was... I don't think they had bankruptcy protection or anything in plan at this point. So I, I mean, think was, they wouldn't have needed it beforehand. Yeah, so he was just kind of like, everything's gone. Uh, <laughs> and the final, like when they made the investigation public, it showed that he had borrowed over $30 million. $30 million in 1938. From in his, that year's money. From his friends, family, and... And accounts in his trust. 
six and a half million of which was still outstanding. He still hadn't paid back. And six and a half million is equivalent to over $138 million in today's money. That means that's so much money. That $30 million is at least close to, if not over $1 billion. That he borrowed? How do you just borrow a billion dollars? He had a lot of rich friends. He took from a lot of people. You know what my problem is, is I've got friends in low places. How many? (laughs) We did one country song reference. I wanted to. Let's go, girls. And the fear in his eyes as I stole his glass of champagne. I toasted you, you said, honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain, because I got friends in no place. Pack it up, Nino. We're moving to Nashville. <laughs> Let's go. We're becoming the next the next country duo. We're in the next Johnny and June. Yeah. We're, yeah. Go, we're going too far off Sorry. topic. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's walk the line and get back onto today's story. Stop. Uh, <laughs> he was not just taking out loans, however. Uh, some of the money was directly stolen from his friends and families after his friends and family's generosity dried up. He took out loans using bonds that he kept with him that belonged to the New York Yacht Club, which, remember, he was the treasurer of. So he took out a loan using those as collateral. So he gave up the bonds to get the money, and the banks had the bonds. So at one point, they had like the yacht club had asked him five times for these bonds back, but he didn't have. I mean, he didn't have them. But he didn't have them. So he like he had to like go to his brother and ask him for like one and a half million dollars to go to the bank to give them the money back so he could get the bonds to return. I've never even asked my brother for a hundred dollars. Yeah, one and a half million at this time. Remember, it's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Um, he also had embezzled money from the New York Stock Exchange Gratuity Fund, which is a charitable fund that was created to pay <sighs> widows and orphans of New York Stock Exchange members, and even stole eight hundred thousand dollars in bonds from his father-in-law's estate to keep living in his lavish lifestyle. Dude. So he straight up just, like, once he ran out of money he could borrow, he just straight up started stealing it from anywhere he could, including from widows and orphans, you know, like... Yeah, fuck you, dude. It's fucked up. Um, so Richard Whitney was officially charged with embezzlement on March, 19, or March 10th, 1938, and was subsequently arrested. Richard did plead guilty against the advice of his counsel. So his lawyer was like, plead not guilty. And he was like, no, I did it, though. (laughs) So at least he was honorable in that. He actually did. He admitted to, like, as soon as he got arrested, he admitted to everything and was like, yeah, I did all of it. Um, Here's what I did. And, like, you're right. And this was all within a month, basically. Um, And he was sentenced on the one count that made it to court, the embezzlement from his father-in-law's estate, uh, he was sentenced to five to ten years in prison at the famous Sing Sing Prison in New York. I have never heard of that. Oh, yeah, it's really, it's like a famous prison. It's like the number one prison to go to. Sing Sing. Like, if you want to go to prison, that's the one you go to? No, I don't think so. I think it was just the New York prison. I think it was just, there were a lot of people there, so Mm. it's pretty famous. 
It's just New York's so big. Uh, it was reported that anywhere from five to 10,000 people, depending on the report you look at, came to Grand Central Station to watch as this once illustrious figure was taken by train to his incarceration. So there's no way they could all see that happen. That, well, that's actually a lot of people were disappointed because they brought him in through the side door. And then straight into the train. So there well, is. They're a- not going to bring him through the front door. You all are going to murder him. Yeah, you know what? Well, actually, people still didn't like hate him. They were just kind of surprised at this point that he turned out to be a crook because everyone. Li- I am not a crook. Everyone liked him because he was seen as a hero, like in the newspapers. And then it turns out that he was just stealing a bunch of money the whole time. Um, so yeah, there, some people saw him though because there's this picture of him like being walked into the station with the police because they made a whole thing about it. he was the only one not covering his face. He basically kind of so that like he because he wasn't embarrassed. I I don't know. You kind of like took it on the chin. I guess what they All were right. saying is that like he's like he fully admitted to everything he did. He said that he did it. He was sorry for it, but he said that he did it. I don't know. But as is usually the case with white collar crimes, especially this long ago, Richard did not even serve the full minimum sentence of five years and was released on good behavior after serving just three years and four months. Uh, his brother, George Jr., uh, probably to take away some of the stain on the family name, paid back every penny that Richard still owed wow. over the course of the next couple decades and even picked him up from prison in a chauffeured limousine. I don't know if I should say, like, what a fucking simp or what a good brother or both. I don't know, man. I At least he paid the money back. Yeah, like, I mean, like, yeah, at like, least everybody got paid what they were owed. I'm That's just, that's shocking that yeah. his brother did that for him. The people got their money back. The thing about this story is that it's more that this man who was so highly regarded, who had everything, still stretched past his means to, to live at a certain level. Yeah. And then lost, and then, and then resorted to stealing yeah. to, to keep it. He well, was born with money. Well, yeah, and what's crazy is that he uh, had no remorse for taking it from people that, A, he knew, and then, B, taking it from charitable foundations. Yeah. Like, that's shitty. Man, he was like an addict. He was like an addict to wealth. Like, mm-hmm. when you get to the point that you're addicted to something so bad that you will take money from well, whoever, like, however you can get it to get your fix. It's it's. I mean, it's kind of what, what it is, I guess, yeah. in a way. I mean, it's like a shopping addiction. But, you know, the difference is, is that, like, heroin costs, like, 80 bucks, bro. Like, he's he's taking millions of dollars from people. Right. So, it's, the scale is different, but I mm-hmm. guess at its base, it's kind of similar. Well, um, addiction is addiction, and it drives people to do things yeah. that they never would do otherwise. But people on drugs get reprimanded way worse than these guys. So, oh, absolutely. And that's know. why we have this podcast. Exactly. Uh and after his release, Richard Whitney oversaw a family-owned dairy farm for a little bit uh, before returning to business as the president of a textile factory in Florida. Uh, he would live the rest of his days quietly, still banned from ever dealing in securities, until his death in December of 1974. He lived a long time. Like 70, I think it was... Uh, he like lived 86 years. 74 plus 12. Yep, that's exactly it. Quick math. Good uh, <laughs> So, Richard Whitney had everything he could ever dream of. Money, power, and notoriety. He was a hero of American capitalism at a time when finance in the United, in the United States was questioned more than ever. 
He got accustomed to having whatever he wanted whenever he wanted, though, and stretched outside his means to get it. When he could no longer borrow, he stole, always greedy. The charm that he wore on his watch, on his watch chain from his days with the Porcellian Club was that of a pig. And what a fitting symbol for a man that only ever wanted more, growing fat on his ill-gotten gains, even if that meant from widows and orphans. So I'll leave you with this. A quote from New York News columnist Nancy Randolph, who was covering Richard Whitney's departure to prison. Whitney was Sir Richard when he went into battle in shining armor against the 1929 crash, and again when he stood up and defied Washington and the reformers. Now it turns out this great white knight was an optical illusion. You know, I really hope you never have to write anything bad about me because that was kind of like, oof. Yeah, what's it was up? like a bad obituary. What's up, bro? Like uh, an obituary for someone you hate. I just thought it was so funny that it's like, obviously the pig is like the symbol of, of like gluttony. greed and gluttony. and When really, they're one of the most clean animals. Though yeah, th- it gives them a bad rap. They're, you know, they're not that. Poor little pig. They're not that gross. But like that's, that's the symbol of this club that he that he was a part of that he wore that fucking charm all always keep that motherfucking thing on him you know well it's like people who wear their class ring it's the highlight which of is days. which is weird i don't do that i didn't even get a class ring move on i have my high school class ring i didn't get one i thought it was weird then and i still think it's weird now i was like i hate all of you why would i want to remember this yeah it's just it's actually in this box right here oh i'll show you after um, i'm gonna try it on big it's too big for me well then why'd you get it that why'd you get it so big they thought i was gonna grow i don't know my my letterman's jacket was also like three times two three times my size yeah but it's like kind of cool to have an oversized jacket you know i mean i guess uh so that was the story of richard whitney uh the new york stock exchange president who stole a bunch of money and ended up in prison yeah. I don't know if there have been other stock exchange presidents that have done that. Probably. Of course there have Probably. been. You know what? Google. We'll, we'll Google this real quick. Uh, I've been Googling a lot today. Nothing. I don't know. We'll probably have to look more into it. All it's right. Fine. Well, uh, we'll look deeper later. Uh, we'll do a deep dive. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. To today's episode. Uh, we hope you liked it and the story that, that, that we put together and me calling him a pig. You know, it, it all works out. Uh the best thing you can do for us if you liked this episode and you want to see our podcast grow and get better and more popular is to just tell a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, mention us. Say you've been listening to the podcast. Get more more ears uh, into, the, into the Spotify machine and more of our words into people's brains. And not to tell people what to do, but a good way to do this is when you see people on social media go... I'm going on a long drive. Do you have any podcast recommendations? Just plug white collars, red hands. Yeah, hell, you can add us at our socials, facebook.com slash white collars, red hands, Twitter at white collars pod, Instagram at white collars underscore red hands. All of those are fitting. You can plug our YouTube page even over an entertainment buffet. Uh, maybe they have YouTube music and that's their go-to listening platform for the weirdos that do that. Not You know, whatever, I guess to each is You know is what? Up. We're but, not going to kink shame. But... 
I hope they're not getting off to YouTube music. It, it doesn't matter. Jerk off to our episodes. I don't care. Uh, I would love it if someone was masturbating to this episode. But so let's step farther. Uh, uh, my indifferent, wanting. It's fine. Oh, okay. uh, so but you could do that in entertainment buffet. Uh, another way to support us for free, completely free. We're not going to ask you for any money for it. Uh, it's just to rate review or subscribe on whatever podcast service you're listening to you can write out a whole review if you feel so inclined so moved by our words on apple podcasts uh or you can just leave us a rating on apple Podcasts or spotify both of those are great subscribe on all of them i'm pretty sure they all have that yes feature so you can do that uh now let's now let's say that you're you're a money bag. You got some money, and you're just throwing it out to to impoverished podcasters. And you want to give us like some us. money? You can do that indirectly uh, by buying some merch from our merch page over at T Public. Uh, that link is in the show's description. Or you can go to our website, whitecollarsredhands.com. Click the uh, check out our merch badge at the top. That'll take you straight to the store. Um, that being said, if you want to contact us even more directly, let's say you're an 85-year-old woman. You don't know what social media is. You don't know how to DM. What's a DM? Someone on Instagram. Uh, you can send us a good old-fashioned email at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. Send us some suggestions there, too. Have a discourse with us. Talk about it. Talk about an episode. Ask us questions about an episode. I'd love to answer some of those. If you have unanswered questions, uh, you can send them all there. And we try to do one fancy minute episode every single season. Or more. Or more. If there's more, we'll do more. If they're interesting, you can send those suggestions also to that email. So that's all I got today. Short, sweet. To the point. To the point. Richard Whitney. Richard Whitney. Thanks, everyone. for (laughs) That fucking pig. Oink, oink, motherfucker. Oink, oink, oink. Oink, oink. We'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars. Red Red hands. hands.